Well, hello and happy Thanksgiving to you all. All right, the tryptophan is uh, not settled off yet, so uh, you're still sleepy from the turkey. That's okay. Happy Thanksgiving. All right, there we go, and happy Thanksgiving to anybody watching online. If you are watching online, uh, welcome to Hosanna. What's going to be happening in the room today is a healing center for anybody wearing green and gold. Uh, So if you didn't make it here, uh, just know we're praying for you from a distance as well. So let's pray. Uh, No, my name is Jared Van Vorst, and I'm the Lakeville campus pastor, and it's uh, fun for me to actually get to mention my title, because in my title is the word Lakeville, and I just, I don't want to show any favoritism, but I just want to say congratulations to the Lakeville football team, North. That was, uh, that was cool to be able to see, and, and Lakeville South even, just last week, and so it was just cool, this whole community, and I, I recognize there are a ton of you from, from other parts of the South Metro, and so we are so glad you are here as well, but I just I, uh, wanted to, biasly, because I live in Lakeville, I just wanted to say way to go, that was fun to watch, fun to be a part of. I want to invite our ushers forward to receive today's tithes and offerings. Thank you for living generously, biblically, and obediently, and faithfully as well. Uh, you need to know that part of how you're multiplying the hope and heartbeat of Jesus through the giving of your tithes and offerings is every year on Thanksgiving Day uh, during the lunch hour, we get an opportunity to, to bless the community. And uh, there's tons of people, hundreds of people that come through our doors on Thanksgiving Day. And uh, maybe they don't have a place to go or a family to be with. And so we're able to serve them a meal. And it's just a, a, a fantastic opportunity to be a part of. And so thank you for giving to that, as well as thank you for those of you who, who gave your time. I, I know there's tons of volunteers that helped out with that as well. So thank you uh, for helping our community, blessing our community, and multiplying the hope and heartbeat of Jesus in that way. We are starting a brand new series. It's called The First Christmas Carols. Now, when you hear that, how many of you think that we're going to be breaking down the theology of Bing Crosby and Ella Fitzgerald and Michael Buble? That would be fun. Uh, We could do that, but we're not going to do that. Uh, We're going to do something a little bit different. But I am curious to hear maybe some of your favorite songs, some of your favorite Christmas carols. At the count of three, just shout out, what is your favorite Christmas carol? One, two, three, go. Yeah, that's mine too. That's my favorite. No, we are going to go, we're going to go back to the original hits, like the, the way back, like 2,000 years ago. Maybe if you're newer to the church or newer to the Bible, you don't know this, but there's, there's actually four songs uh, that happen around the time of Christ's birth, uh, which is what we celebrate at Christmas. They, they come both before and after, and we're going to look at these, uh, what have come, been come to know, uh, we've come to know them as, as songs or carols, if you will. And uh, they all have Latin names. They've been adapted for like choral pieces, some beautiful uh, chorus uh, choirs that that sing these songs. There's uh, a song of Simeon, which is what we're going to look at today. Uh, The song of Zechariah, the song of Mary, and then the angels song as well. The one that we're looking at, Simeon, is called the Nunc Dimittis, which is Latin for you are dismissed. Which doesn't sound like a Christmas song, right? It doesn't have all the bells and the ringing and the, you know, silver bells. No, it's, it's you are dismissed. But that's going to make sense as we look into the story in just a moment. Uh, what I want to do, though, is normally, if, you, if you've been coming here for a while, normally we, we, you know, we open up our Bibles together. We even have words on the screen. And, and, and sometimes, sometimes we treat this a little bit like a textbook and, and a lecture. And this is, this is a classroom setting. And and there's something to that, and that's fine. And we do learn a lot about uh, what God is up to and who God is and how we're invited into that. But today, specifically throughout this series, what we want to do is we just want to read the story over you, read the story to you, because that's how the original hearers would have heard this. And I think it's also important to recognize that this is, in fact, 
a story. It's not a textbook. It's not a manual or a list of things to do and not do, but this is a story of God and God's people and how you and I get invited into the story. And so I'm going to read, and you can follow along if you'd like to. Otherwise, you can just sit back and and listen to the story as if you were in the first century hearing this story for the first time. I'm reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 35. And this is after Jesus had been born. It says this, Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. And it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and, he had, and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God saying, or, or singing, and here's the song. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. That's where we get, you are dismissed. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. Would you pray with me, please? I thank you for this story. Thank you for Simeon and this opportunity he gets to see Jesus face to face. And God, now as we live in 2018 and we approach Christmas, God, we want to see you face to face somehow. Would you give us spiritual eyes to see you in the midst of this holiday. We anticipate your arrival. We uh, look forward to your coming. We need uh, the hope of salvation. And would you help us to see in this story maybe something new that we haven't seen before? We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This is a story of Simeon. This is the only story of Simeon. He doesn't really show up anywhere else in, in the biblical story, in the scriptures. And so this is a special and unique moment. And, and again, this is the time of Advent or the waiting of Jesus. But this particular story uh, comes after Jesus has been born. And Simeon, uh, there's, there's a number of different ideas about who he was and what role he played. Some believe that maybe he was a priest, and so that's why he was at the temple, and that's why he was part of this sort of dedication ceremony. Uh, but then there's also uh, argument for, well, no, he wasn't a priest. He was just a devout Jew, but he happened to be led by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple. Uh, either way, this man was eagerly awaiting for Jesus to come, or at least the Messiah to come. He didn't maybe know if it was going to be named Jesus or not. He just had this hopeful anticipation, as all of the Jews at that time did, uh, that there would be a Messiah. In other words, one who would come to save them. 
and not just save them from their sins, although that's, that's what we talk about uh, now post-death and resurrection of Jesus, but more so they wanted saving from oppression, saving from their enemies, Rome. The Roman Empire is in charge at the time, and so life was hard for them, and so they are eagerly anticipating the arrival of a Messiah who would come and rescue them. And specifically, specifically, uh, Simeon has this unique interaction with God where God makes this promise to him, you're, you're gonna see the Messiah. You're gonna see him face to face. And I wonder what went through his mind of what's that going to be like? And God, are you gonna show up? And it's believed that Simeon was pretty old at this time as well. And so I, I, I wonder at what point in his life did he receive that prim, promise? Was he you know, in his mid-30s and now he's in his 70s and he's been waiting for 40 years to see this come to fruition? I don't know how long Simeon's been waiting, but we get this sense that he has been waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, he gets to this moment. He gets to this moment where Mary and Joseph come and they bring the baby. And, and it says that Simeon took Jesus from them and held him in his arms. Just imagine that. Holding this baby, knowing that this is the Messiah. He holds Jesus in his arms and he begins to sing. Happy holidays. No, he doesn't sing that. He, not even close, in fact. I mean, that, those are all the songs that are playing right now that we have stuck in our heads. They're, they're the tapes that are playing over and over. Uh, that's not what he sings. It's not this Norman Rockwell Christmas scene that we tend to imagine when we think about Christmas that, that has been part of our culture for, for years. Uh, this is Jesus we're talking about. And, and in fact, his, his song, if you will, has, has kind of some edgy lyrics to it. And then his follow-up comments to Mary and Joseph also have a bit of a punch to it. And so what I want to do is I want to unpack uh, his, his song and then his follow-up comments to Mary and Joseph and just share a little bit about who this Jesus is and what that means for Christmas. Because it's, it's different than the typical images that we tend to, uh, to make up in our, in our minds or that we see out in our culture. And so what I want to say to us today, this morning, is that Jesus brings peace. A different kind of peace. Jesus brings peace. Jesus is provocative. A little bit edgy, what Simeon's about to tell us. And finally, Jesus will pierce our souls. So Jesus brings peace. Well, that's, we see that explicitly right there in verse 29. Sovereign Lord, this is the beginning of the song uh, or, or, or Simeon's praise. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. He's probably close to death. Die in peace, this sense of inner peace. And, and, and wholeness that, okay, yes, God is coming through. It just makes me wonder about uh, those of you who are in maybe the older generation. I wonder, as you look back at the life you've lived up to this point, and, and maybe you've been faithful, maybe you've been a Christian, a follower of Jesus for much of your life, and maybe you've also wondered, like, has God been faithful to you? Has God shown up? Have you gotten to see God in a, in a spiritual sense, face to face? Has he come through in your life? Has, has there been this moment of waiting and anticipation? God, when are you gonna, when are you gonna solve this, this problem that I have? When are you gonna help me with my finances? When are you gonna help me in my relationships? Is there that sense of peace that God is and has been and will continue to be faithful? I just think about uh, my grandma, Van Vorst, turned 98 this October, 98. Uh, just a beautiful woman and, and, and lived a, 
an, a long life of, of faith. She, I think she reads her Bible still every year. And she's just, she's just kind of waiting to meet God face to face. And I love the conversations that I get to have with her. And, and I get this sense that she doesn't have any regrets. That she kind of just lived life to the fullest. And I wonder, uh, for those of you in the older generation, I just want to say, we, we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your experience. We also need to learn from maybe your mistakes from time to time. Uh, to see how God is moving in your lives and how God is, is moving in our lives as well. We need you. We need your wisdom. God is faithful. And I just uh, sense that maybe you need that reminder this morning that, that be, you know, to be at peace, that God will remain faithful regardless of what your circumstances are. Jesus brings peace, not just to the older generation, but to all ages. Jesus is provocative. I mentioned these lyrics are a little bit edgy uh, as we read sentences like, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. That's an indicator. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. That word nations is another word for Gentiles or non-Jews. He's gonna cause many to fall, many others to rise, but many will oppose him. These are, these are a bit edgy lyrics that Simeon is bringing to us. In other words, what he's saying is, is kind of a, a reminder to, to the Jewish people at the time in the first century. What had come to be known for over hundreds of years is the Jewish people had a, a very strict set of laws. And, and it came out of a result of God saying, you're, you're a chosen people. I, I'm choosing you to, I'm, I'm choosing to bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations, to the Gentiles, to the people who are sort of outside of, of their tribe, so to speak. But their laws, their sort of set-apartness becomes almost this badge of honor that they wear to sort of keep them at an arm's distance from the nations, from the Gentiles. And over time, uh, they, they begin to neglect their, their role or their function to reveal God to the nations, to the Gentiles. They don't necessarily follow through with their task entirely. And it actually drives kind of a wedge between the two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. And, and if you read throughout the New Testament, there's different indicators where uh, there are groups of Jewish people who are very uh, wanting to keep very much distance between them and Gentiles. They don't even want to associate with Gentiles. And so Simeon's words here are provocative to a Jewish audience. Because what he is saying is what God had intended all along, is that Gentiles would be part of the family of God, and that Jews had a responsibility in the first century and every, every time before that to reveal God to the Gentiles, but they failed at their task. And so Simeon is praising God almost as if to say, God, praise you that this baby is now here. He will be the light to the nations. Where Israel failed in its task, Jesus will succeed. Jesus will bring about the hope and the salvation to all people, not just one singular group of people, but to all people. Jesus is a God of radical inclusion and compassion and mercy and love and grace. And Simeon recognizes this. And calls us to, to remember this. Causes the, the Jewish people specifically to remember that this is who this Messiah is. 
Jesus is provocative. And what do we find out? How does it turn out? Well, in fact, yes, Jesus does have a ministry to, to people who are on the fringe, who are absolutely in need of compassion and grace and acceptance and inclusion into the family of God. But even more so, he has radical inclusion with Gentiles, non-Jews. There's one story, in fact, where he says to a Roman centurion, who's basically the enemy in its most quintessential form, he is the enemy. And Jesus says to that man, you have the greatest faith in all of Israel. Jesus is provocative. He says things that some Jews don't want to hear. They're not ready for this message necessarily, at least in the first century. There's a story of a similar kind of uh, exclusion or opposition. It's, it takes place in about the mid 1800s. There's a man named Oliver Wendell Holmes. He's a doctor, uh, not junior. He was a Supreme Court justice. Senior, his father was a doctor in the mid 1800s. And there was this uh, tragic string of events that was happening around this time where pregnant women were, were coming down with this horrible fever uh, and, and having struggles in childbirth. And in labor, and, and oftentimes the mother w- would die and sometimes the child would die as well. It's just this horrible event and it became known as the Black Death. And so, uh, of course, many of the doctors are trying to figure out what's going on. They want to, you know, uh, push back against this, this tragedy. And so Oliver Wendell Holmes was one individual who was looking into this to try to figure out how he could solve the problem. And ultimately what he came to in his conclusion is, hey, I think actually doctors might be part of the problem. They might be the cause of the problem here. At that time, uh, it was, they weren't super aware of the science of, of germs or the spread of disease and, affection, uh, and infection. And so he put forward this essay saying that, hey, I think doctors are part of the problem. And then later, another guy named, uh, I'm going to get his name wrong, but it's Inzaz or Inzog Semmelweis. That you can name your next child that. Um, he, he came up with this idea that, hey, actually what we should do is we should wash our hands, we should sterilize in- instruments, and then we should throw away the clothes. Because what was happening is doctors were performing autopsies to do their research in the morning, and then they would go directly to working on other patients without ever doing the in-between phase of sterilization and cleaning their hands. Now to you and I, that sounds absurd, right? But Oliver Wendell Holmes and Semmelweis, they, they put forward this plan, and you know what the response is? It's major opposition from the, from the medical community, from the doctors at the time. This is what they say. How dare you suggest that we would be part of the problem? Doctors are gentlemen. As if that's scientific proof that they're not part of the issue here. That they're gentlemen, that they somehow have this innate uh, innocence from germs or, or immunity from, from the spread of infection. And so it doesn't take off until 12 years later. It takes 12 years for this to catch on, this idea that, hey, maybe we should wash our hands, we should clean our instruments. 12 years. And in fact, Semmelweis goes into a nervous breakdown and it ends his life because he's mocked and made fun of for this idea, for suggesting that this could be the, the cure for the problem. In the same way, Simeon brings about this provocative prophecy of what Jesus is going to be like. The fact that Jesus is going to be radically inclusive to a group of people who many of the Jews had wanted to exclude for hundreds of years. And it doesn't, doesn't take off. 
doesn't take off. In fact, yes, many people oppose the ministry of Jesus, and they certainly oppose the ministry to the Gentiles. In fact, it doesn't take uh, until another three to five years after the death and resurrection of Jesus that the ministry to the Gentiles actually begins. It takes time. Jesus is provocative. He causes us to think outside of ourselves and who we choose to include or exclude in our own circles. See, here's the thing that we have to realize is we are the Gentiles. If you're not Jewish in this room, we're Gentiles. We've been included into this story. That's the grace and mercy, love and compassion of our God in Christ Jesus. Jesus is provocative. And finally, Jesus will pierce our souls. Our heart's deepest thoughts will be revealed and a sword will pierce our soul. That's maybe a nod to the crucifixion that's gonna happen maybe 30 years, 30 or so years from this moment that we're talking about right now. The gospel according to John talks about this idea that this, uh, this soldier came and put a sword in the side or the soul of Jesus. And so that absolutely does happen physically speaking, but also spiritually speaking. When we are confronted with Jesus, and who he truly is. We're, we're confronted with what, what goes on here and here on a regular basis. How do I really think about these people? How do I really think about God? We're confronted with that. It's revealed in us when we interact with Jesus, when we choose to follow Jesus. Our souls are pierced. And we're faced with this, this question, so to speak, of, what, what do I do with that? What do I do with this kind of Jesus that I've been presented with? And, and this, this particular gospel of Luke was written primarily to Gentile people, actually. That's, that's the, the primary audience to this letter. So they're hearing this maybe in a different light as well. This idea of many will oppose him or many will rise, many will fall. They're beginning to wonder, do, you know, do I oppose Jesus? Am I one who is for Jesus? Will I follow him? Or... Or maybe even more so, uh, maybe it's like a heads up to the Gentiles that actually there's going to be a community or at least a group of Jewish people who are going to oppose you being included into the family. And so you just need to be aware of that. This isn't going to be easy following Jesus. All because of mixed messages and misunderstanding the ultimate goal of what God was trying to do from the very beginning that God would include the Gentiles, include the nations they misunderstood the message over time. And so that you constantly have prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and now Simeon, essentially, speaking prophetically on behalf of the Jews. Hey, maybe we've gotten this wrong. We need to be brought back to square one where God said he's going to include the Gentiles into the family of God. It's possible that they missed the message or at least misunderstood the message. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I were out of town. We were going to be, uh, we were in a different time zone, two hour difference, and we were going to be flying back in. We needed somebody to pick us up from the airport. So I asked, uh, ahead of time, I asked Eric Pock. He's our middle school pastor. He's on staff. I asked him if he would uh, pick, pick us up from the airport when we got back into town. He said, sure, no problem. Just send me the details when you get closer to the date. So we went, uh, went away, and then about two days before he had to come pick us up, before we we're going to be flying in, uh, I sent him a text message, I sent him all the flight information, and what I said is, pick us up on Sunday at 12.30 a.m. Now, I, I meant to say Sunday night, but even so, technically speaking, that's not entirely true. 
uh, it would have been more so Monday morning, 12.30 a.m. But, but you and I, are, we're on the same page, right? Like if I say Sunday night, 12.30 a.m., you know what I mean, right? You gravitate more towards the Sunday night aspect of it, right? Yes? Nod your head? Okay. Uh, not so much Monday morning, because, you know, it, it's more, it feels more like night. Anyway, um, it, was, it was about 2.30 a.m. where we were on technically Sunday morning, and we were fast asleep in our hotel room. And I got a text. And it says, hey, Jared, it's Brianne. I'm texting from Eric's phone just a couple minutes away from the airport. Cool. I'm asleep. I'm not there for 24 more hours. I woke my wife up. I go, no. And she said, wakes up. What's, what's the matter? I said, Eric and Brianne are on their way to the airport right now. And we're sleeping. He and his wife had stayed up all night and went to the airport and were there while it was 2.30 in the morning where we were. We weren't going to be flying in for 24 more hours. Talk about missing the message. I I guess it was my fault. I sort of think it was my fault uh, for not (laughs) being more clear with the actual message, but he was there. Now, luckily, luckily, he did show up 24 hours later and picked me up, and I kind of walked out of the airport sheepishly, like, Sorry to keep you up. We, we had a good time. He sent all kinds of emojis with happy, smiley faces to make sure that I didn't feel so bad. So that was very kind of him. But sometimes we miss the message, or at least we misunderstand the messages. And I, I think the same might have been true for a certain sect of Jewish people who they had their text messages, so to speak. The Old Testament, they had a very, at least according to their understanding, a very clear idea of what the Messiah would look like when he would come. They believed that God's Messiah would come and start a revolution, essentially, and destroy their enemies and rescue them. But the rescue looked a lot different than what they had anticipated. They they studied their texts. They knew them inside and out, and yet... Some of them had maybe a slightly different understanding, a different interpretation of what they meant. Simeon was certainly one of those. To remind them that actually this is about including the people who we've put on the outside. This will pierce our souls to know that this is for all people. And if we miss that message, we we tend to just kind of hold it all to ourselves and keep others at an arm's distance. Does Jesus pierce your soul? Does he cause you to think differently about others? And maybe, maybe others that, that you have put on the outside. Does he pierce your soul in a way that maybe says, maybe, maybe I don't have my idea of God Altogether, Maybe my picture of God is small and it's in this little box. Maybe I need to expand that idea of what God is like, that he actually has love and compassion on all people. He has prepared salvation for all people. Is he piercing your soul, causing you to think differently about him and about others and about yourself? This morning I was talking with some of the people in our prayer room after last night's message and I just said, You know, are there any themes that came out of conversations? And they said, there's a lot of people who are believing lies about themselves. Believing that they're unworthy. Believing that they don't have what it takes. Believing that they're a horrible, rotten person. And I just want to say to you this morning, Jesus loves you. 
has compassion for you, is including you into the family of God, not because you follow a set of rules, but because you follow a person. And that person is named Jesus. And that's why all of our songs that we sang this morning and will continue to sing are about Jesus. They're about a person. A person that you and I are invited to be in relationship with. Jesus brings peace. Jesus is provocative. Causes a little bit of unsettling in us at times and we have to wrestle with that and that's okay. And Jesus will pierce our souls. We're gonna sing again in just a moment. Here comes heaven. I imagine that those words might have been on the mind of Simeon. Here, here is Jesus. Here is what heaven looks like. Here is the kingdom of God being ushered in and it's coming in the form of a little baby. Not through force and might, but through humility and love and compassion. That's how God chooses to enter into the world. I invite you to stand if you are able. I just want us to spend a moment um, praying, listening and hearing from God. And so if you feel comfortable, maybe just uh, extending your hands out. We do this from time to time just to say to ourselves, have our body tell our minds, I'm open to what you have for me, God. And I just wanna pray over you. And so God, thank you for sending your spirit. Just invite you, church, to take a deep breath. The Spirit of God is in our lungs, our hearts, our souls, our minds. Especially in this season, we are so hurried. Uh, we need your peace. We need a, a sense of inner peace. We need relational peace. I know that there's tons of broken relationships represented in this room right now where there's not a whole lot of peace. And so God, would you intervene supernaturally in those broken relationships? Pray that there wouldn't be any shame, but simply love and compassion and humility and draw them closer and closer to you. And if that's you, you're dealing with a lack of peace, maybe just internally or in your relationships. You can just say your own prayer to God right now if you'd like to. And then, God, there are others of us who recognize the provocative nature of who you are and the mission that you are about, that you want to include everybody, that you have radical love for all people. And I think I know for myself sometimes I, get, I, I choose, I pick and choose who I want to include in that, and then you remind me, nope, it's, it's bigger than that, it's more than that. And would, would you help us to see that as well? Would you expand our understanding of how you choose to, to include all people into your family through your love and grace? And God, we do ask that you would pierce our souls, move us into greater relationship with you and with others. Cause us to see you in a new way. And as we celebrate this Advent season, we look forward to your arrival, your coming. We anticipate the hope and salvation that you bring. Let us shout, here comes heaven. Here comes heaven. 
and pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.